You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 111 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Klaas for sponsoring this episode. Australia signed the MLI, Multilateral Instrument, in June 2017, gave it royal assent in August 2018 and deposited its instrument of ratification with the OECD straight after that in September 2018. So for Australia, the MLI will enter into force on the 1st of January 2019, but whether the MLI will actually apply to a so-called cover tax agreement with another country depends on that specific country ratifying the MLI as well. How this works in detail is the topic of this episode. Simon Dorovich of ANA Tax Legal Consulting, who you already met in the past four episodes, will walk you through the process. Here's Simon. So the multilateral instrument is a mechanism for implementing the changes that the BEPS project, Australia and the other countries that are part of this project, that they've come to a consensus on. Then the question is, well, how do we implement it? The network of tax treaties across the world, there's hundreds, possibly, I don't know, maybe thousands. It would be a very, very long process to update one by one. So they've come up with this way to try to speed up that process. So I see. So the multilateral instrument is basically just certain rules about how we change all our hundreds of thousands of different tax agreements we have between all the different countries. There's a number of steps. So the first step would be, let's say we're trying to apply the MLI and a double taxation agreement between The uh, US. States, yeah, state, well, the, oh, the US, US is always funny, they always do their... Actually, the US has, has gone their example. own way on this one. So <laughs> the, the, the UK. Australia's DTA with the US will actually not be affected at all by, by this because they don't want any part of this MLI. Yes, so just as with the common reporting standards, they did their own thing. So with MLI, they also do their own thing. Yeah. Let's talk about the state UK. A and state B. Okay. So first, we need to work out... Has the MLI entered into force for both state A and state B? So has the country ratified it? They've deposited the instrument of ratification with the OECD. And have we? Has Australia? Yes, Australia has. And once the country ratifies the M MLI, it comes into force three clear months after that. So Australia ratified it at some point in September. I forget the exact date. We then go October, November, December. So 1st of first January. 1st of, of January. So Australia has, but America hasn't. So for the DTA there, it's simply stop at that point. But most of the countries, OECD, have vindicated that they will ratify it. So let's assume Australia and country B yeah. have both ratified it. Yes. So then the next step. Then the next step is... Have both countries listed that DTA as a covered tax agreement? So Australia has listed all its DTAs with the exception of the DTA with Germany as a covered tax agreement. The German agreement is our most 
recently negotiated one, a recently concluded one, I should say, and Australia's position is, well, it already reflects, we're happy with it as it is, it already, already reflects, reflects the new template. So no need for any further changes. However, and this can change. May not, yeah, so this may no longer be accurate, but I did read that Austria, Korea, Sweden and Switzerland, and I have no idea why, have not listed their DTAs with Australia as covered tax agreements. So even though we listed them, they haven't listed us, which I mentioned. It's like has, dating, has isn't it? Feelings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know what we did wrong, mm-hmm. but our DTAs with those countries, we just apply them as they currently stand. We won't need to look at the MLI and think, well, how does this affect things? We only progress to the third step if we, A, in step one, ratified the new template, B, covered all the countries as covered, and see also that those countries declared us as covered. Yes. And only then will we now come to the next step. Yes, that's right. So the next step is, has the MLI entered into force? And that depends on the type of tax that you're dealing with. If it's withholding taxes, royalties, dividends, interest paid to to non-residents, where the DCA will set a maximum limit of taxation that the source country can apply, the MLA comes into effect on the first day of the next calendar year on or after the MLI enters into force. So we're talking about Australia, 1st of January 2019. But for other taxes, it's six months income tax, for example, six months after the later date of entry into force of the MLI for Australia and the treaty partner. So if we're, again, going back to 1st of January as a date of the MLI entering into force, for that particular covered tax agreement, six months later becomes 1st of July 2019. Depending on the kind of tax that you're dealing with, you need to make sure, have the rules started yet? Mm. Are we in the new regime or the old regime? And that can become incredibly confusing. You can have half of the tax year under the old regime and half of the tax year under the new regime. No, no, it would be for income periods beginning on or after that date. Oh, I see. So the whole year will be... Either in or out. Yeah. Okay. The next step is you look at what are the reservations, notifications, choices... As I mentioned before, it's not just a one-size-fits-all. There are many parts of the MLI where a country can choose option A or option B and they can tailor it to what they, to an extent, there are some things that are compulsory and minimum standards, but there are some things that are optional and even in minimum standards there may be more than one way to meet that. So you need to sort of understand what are the positions that each country has adopted. If they're the same, carry on. If they're different, well, often it will mean that there's no change. If country A wants to apply option one and country B wants to apply option two, then neither, generally speaking, neither will apply. Though there is, I believe, potential in some areas to have uh, differing positions, but generally speaking, you need to have agreement. Then you determine the operative provisions of the MLI. So you've got the MLI itself. That won't be officially incorporated into the 
the DTA. So you know, sometimes DTAs are renegotiated and there's what they call an amending protocol and, and the wording of the DTA incorporates those amendments. The ATO may choose to publish something helpful that combines the two, or maybe the you know, CCHs, the Thomson Reuters of the world will do that, I hope, but there's no requirement to do that. So we'll be looking at two different documents, one that says this and one, the MLI, that says that and you need to work through them together. So in terms of considering how do we interpret the MLI, well, you've got the MLI itself, obviously. There's an explanatory statement that accompanies the MLI that provides some guidance. There's the relevant BEPS action report. So for permanent establishments, that's action report seven. And that just talks about these are the issues that we've identified. These are the rationale. These are the changes we're proposing. These are the rationale behind them. And finally, the updated commentary to the model treaty that explains the meaning behind particular terms and, and so on. And looking at all those will help the practitioner apply the MLI to the, the DTA. Yeah, finally, you sort of work through it all. And in some cases, there may be a change that applies in place of an existing provision, or perhaps it, it modifies an existing provision, or perhaps it's there is no existing equivalent and applies in, in the absence of one. I think it will get quite confusing. And the MLI has been written by the OECD. Yeah, and of course the member countries, I imagine it was uh, lots of consultation, lots of countries involved, uh, it was a long process, but yes, it, it is issued by the OECD, it's, it's available on their website and, and they also have some frequently asked questions and guidance to, to help you understand what it all is and how to uh, how to apply it in practice. But for, um, for Australians, it's probably not so good to go to the OECD website and look at their guidance etc because Australia hasn't adopted every element of the MLI so it's better for Australian companies to look at the ATO website and look at what we have adopted and what we haven't adopted. Yeah what makes it so difficult is all the different documents you need to refer to. You should download the MLI from the OECD website but you should also download all Australia's reservations and positions, etc., which is also available from the OECD website. And then you, you know, to go through it and, okay, you say, well, okay, well, let's cross out Article 12. Australia has, we've said we're not applying that. You know, circle option A, Australia says we've chosen that option to come up with Australia's version of the MLI. And that version of the MLI may depend on the particular... Country. The, the, yeah, the particular covered tax agreement that you're applying it to. Now we go back to that multi-step process that I talked about earlier. So you kind of have consideration of a number of different documents and step through it you know, carefully and methodically to make sure that you're applying the right set of rules. Welcome back. It would be great to know why Australia, Korea, Sweden and Switzerland 
didn't list their DTAs with Australia as covered tax agreements. It would be good to know what we did or are still doing. In the next episode, episode 112, Daniel Butler of DBA Lawyers will talk about SMSF succession. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Klaus for the support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.